morning. How are we? Good? Great to be with you guys here this morning. Kids, we're welcome. Uh, we're happy to have you guys here. Excited that you guys are with us in, in service today. You kind of get to see what the adults do every single Sunday. Uh, we're grateful to have you guys here with us. Um, we are in week number 13 of our series through the book of 1 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, go there with me, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. In this series, we've called it God's Blueprint for the Church. So if today's your first time, you're wondering what, what are they talking about, uh, we've been talking about what is God's design for the church. What's the church supposed to look like? How is the church supposed to function? And so I want to start by saying this this morning. How you treat people around you reveals what's inside of you. How you treat people around you reveals what's happening inside of you, what's happening in your heart. So how I interact with somebody or how I treat somebody, it shows what kind of heart I have. If, if I'm mean to other people, if I'm negative towards other people, then what kind of heart do you think I might have? A mean, negative heart. Because your heart is revealed by how you treat other people on the outside. We live in a time where relationships seem to matter less and less. We spend less time with our families than probably most generations that came before us. You know, one of the markers of a really good party is that you don't want the party to end, right? You want that party just to keep going. Have you ever been hanging out with somebody and you're like, I just don't want this time to end, right? I, I don't know if you ever were, you know, when you were a kid, or maybe kids, this has happened to you, but have you ever went to a sleepover and you were having so much fun with your, with your friend at their house and you were like, you call your parent, you're like, can I just stay another day? Can I, can I do another day? Can I stand a, a, for another day? Why? Because you just didn't want the, the time to end. You were having so much fun. Now, have you ever been to a party where you just couldn't wait to get out of there? Where you just couldn't wait for it to end? You're sitting there and you're thinking through all the excuses of how you can get out of this thing. Right? You're like, um, hey, I have to go because I think I left my iron on. Or, hey, I have a big blood test that I need to study for tomorrow, and so I, I got to get out of here. Whatever it may be for you. See, there's a difference in good times with people and bad times with people. One can be really fun, and the other can feel like it's a prison sentence. It can feel like it's really bad. And so how much do you enjoy your family? How do you treat your family? How do you feel about your family? So that's your biological family. Those are important questions. Now, let me ask you the same questions about your spiritual family, your church. How much do you enjoy your spiritual family? How do you treat your spiritual family? How do you feel about your spiritual family? And those are some of the questions that we're going to wrestle with through our text this morning. See, friends, the danger in spending a lot of time reading and studying and, and, and learning and teaching the more time you spend in those things, the danger is that your love for other people will actually diminish, will actually go down. Why? Because the more knowledge somebody tends to have, they, they could easily grow to be arrogant. Know what I'm talking about? Like the more that you learn, the more stuff you know, the more cocky and the more full of yourself you can be. And the Apostle Paul knew that. The Apostle Paul had seen leaders who didn't really love their people. And as we open up chapter 5, Paul is going to help us 
Remember that how you treat and how you feel about others, it reveals what's happening inside your heart. You always have to pay attention to your heart, don't you? As a Christian, you always are paying attention to your heart. See, being a believer in Christ is more than just knowing things. It's more than just knowing things. Your attitude is also very important as well. You have to love other people. If you're calling yourself a Christian today, hear it up front. Kids, teens, adults, listen carefully. If you call yourself a Christian, you must love other people. And you must respect other people. It has to be both. Now, this was a message from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago. But it's a message from God to us today as well. And so why is this important? Because we're living in a world today where we're only growing in one kind of love in this world today. And that is the love of self. We're not growing in the love of others in our world today. We may try and fool ourselves with all the, uh, you know, uh, theories and and, and thoughts and and different um, uh, ways that people are saying this is how we show love to other people by acceptance or whatever nonsense is out there today. Listen, it's really just the love of self. All we're doing is affirming people loving themselves, not really loving other people, not really loving God, but loving self. The love of others is actually dwindling, and it's going down. And so the Apostle Paul this morning is going to help us to focus on how we treat other people in the church and how we treat people in our own families. And to be honest with you, the Apostle Paul has some really challenging things to say to us this morning. Number one this morning is this. Write this down. We are to encourage, build up, and nurture your spiritual family well, which is the church, right? Your spiritual family is the church. So every time you hear the spiritual family, we're talking about your church family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Stop there. The Apostle Paul told Timothy that older men were generally not to be rebuked. Generally not to be rebuked. A young pastor like Timothy was, we know he was probably around 30 years old, he had to shepherd everybody. Like there was not a single person in the church that he didn't have to shepherd, but there was a way that he was supposed to shepherd each kind of person. Paul's giving him a way that he's supposed to shepherd everybody. He's supposed to shepherd everybody, number one, faithfully. He has to shepherd everyone faithfully. But older men, he was supposed to shepherd them with due respect that was due to them. Why? Because of their years of wisdom. Their perceived years of wisdom. The ancient Greek verb for rebuke there is not the normal word for rebuke in the New Testament. In fact, this is the only place that this word for rebuke is actually used in the New Testament. And it literally means to attack. It means to strike at somebody. And so Timothy was told here by Paul, don't attack older men with harsh words in the church. Right? Treat them with respect. And then he also talks about how he was supposed to treat younger brothers, and we'll get to that in a second. So Paul here, he tells Timothy, not that he's never to rebuke an older man. That's not the case. He's not to strike at an older man with overly harsh words. Why? Because even though he's older and he may need rebuking, he is still due respect because he's older than you. And you should treat him as a father. Just like young people. 
You would never talk to your father prayerfully. You would never talk to your father with disrespect. Otherwise, your father should check you real quick. Right? Uh? Yeah. Like young people, you, you disrespect your father. Your father should be like, hey, say that one more time. Come at me one more time with that. Because otherwise, there's about to be discipline. i got to correct you. Okay? And so what I want you to see here, again, it's not that Paul doesn't rebuke an older man. He has to it sometimes. It's that he does it in a specific way with respect. He has to make sure that he's respecting the older man at the time. And so what is a rebuke? Some of you are like, what is that? And maybe the young people are going, what, what's a rebuke? A rebuke is a simple, clear presentation of confronting someone that they're wrong in their thinking or in their behavior. Does that make sense? It's just confronting somebody clearly, right, simply, this is wrong in your thinking or in this behavior. The main goal of rebuking someone is not to encourage them. It's to correct them. Does that make sense? Everybody understand? There's a difference between encourage and rebuke. Right? And, and so this is part of Paul's, or excuse me, of Timothy's job as a pastor. Pastors, part of our job, it's for every pastor, is to rebuke at some point. Sometimes when we're wrestling with things, we may have to say, hey, no, 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 that's, that's wrong. That's not right. That, that might be wrong right there. And we have to correct that. In another letter to a pastor, Paul made the importance of rebuking very clear. Titus chapter 2, verse 15, he said, rebuke with what? All authority. Let no one despise you. There's times when a pastor has to come alongside and try and correct people in the flock. Now, he also uses this word, exhort. Okay? He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him. Now, exhorting means to encourage. So encourage somebody in what needs to be done. So there's times when you might have to correct somebody in your spiritual family but also, if you're correcting, then you're following it up with encouraging to do what needs to be done. Right? We don't just correct somebody and then leave it at that and go, you're wrong. Walk away. No. Hey, that's wrong. But here, let me help you to make it right. Like, if you're going to come alongside somebody and try and correct them, you had better make sure you're also there to help them get it right. You don't get to do one without the other. They both go hand in hand. Amen? They both go hand in hand. Now, think of a coach or a trainer. Sometimes a coach or a trainer, they may tell the, the player, hey, that's wrong. That's the wrong form. That's the wrong way to do something. And they may use, sometimes they might scream at them or talk loudly to them. But they're also trying to help them get it right. That's what a coach or a good trainer would do to help the athlete achieve their, their best. Then Paul talks about the younger guys, the brothers, right? He says treat younger people as brothers, okay? And so what does that mean? You treat them as a partner in the gospel. Now, this is a person who is also helping you to spread the gospel. Treat them with some respect as well. They're partners with you in this. They're not all on their own. You're not better than them. Now, they don't, have this, they don't get the same level of honor and respect that the older men do. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't get honor or respect. They don't get the same level of honor and respect that older men might get. Now, Paul also talks about how Timothy was supposed to treat older women, right? They were to be treated as mothers, treated with respect, treated with honor because of their age. A young pastor, when I became a pastor, I was 22 years old. I became a youth pastor. 
And then when I became senior pastor, I, I was 29 years old. A young pastor at different times has to accept some mothering sometimes from the older women in the church. You just have to. Sometimes there was going to be an older woman who might come alongside and say, now, listen, that's probably not the nicest way to say something. Or could you try something like this? Or you might get a little of that correction, that mothering from some of the older women, and you had to give them also the same honor that goes with that. Just like you would honor your mother, you would honor the older women in the church. So young people, listen carefully. There's going to be a lot of women in the church who are older than you, right? Because you're, you're the young people. You're to show honor and respect like you would to your own mom to the women in the church. Do we understand? Yeah? Good. Then Paul talks about how Timothy was supposed to treat younger women in the church. These younger women were to be treated like what? Sisters. Right? Timothy, as any godly man, was supposed to make sure that his conduct towards women was always pure and was always above reproach. A godly man is not flirtatious. A godly man is not provocative in the words that he says. He doesn't use double entendre words that can mean one thing and, and be perceived in another way. A godly man doesn't do those kind of things. The key here was that Timothy as a pastor was supposed to teach, he was supposed to instruct, he was supposed to correct everybody. As the pastor, that responsibility was on him. He had to be somebody who helps to build everyone in the church up. And there was a way to go about that with each person. So what I want you to see is that before you came to Christ, your identity might have been in your family. Your identity might have been in your, uh, your country that you came from, where you were born in. Your identity might be in your job or what you're really talented at or what you're really good at. But after you became a Christian, your identity has completely changed. Your identity is now in Christ. It's in Jesus. See, in Jesus, right, you're a child of God. In Jesus, you're a follower of Christ. In Jesus, you have a new family. You have a new bloodline. You have a new heritage. You have a new inheritance. Romans chapter 8, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? God's children. Your identity has changed. Now, if we are children, then we are what? Heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, as Christians, we're all now related. Everyone's related. Some of you will spend more time with your spiritual family because of eternity than you ever will your biological family. And because we're now family, we don't treat each other poorly. In the church, we look out for each other. In the church, we treat each other well. In the church, we treat each other with honor and respect. Instead of trying to always rebuke each other, we try to encourage each other. Instead of condemning each other, we appeal to each other and we try to build each other up. This is what it should look like in the church. Older men are to be treated as fathers. Older women are to be treated as mothers. Younger men are to be treated as brothers. And younger girls are to be treated as sisters. Paul intentionally uses these general terms to describe the various ages in the church. See, some people would say, no, 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 Paul's not really talking about older men in the sense of age. He's talking about older men in the sense of spiritual maturity. Wrong. Paul is actually talking about age. Legitimate age. 
He's not saying because someone is uh, more mature than you spiritually, even though they're younger than you, you treat them as a spiritual father. Absolutely not. That sounds crazy. Because it would be crazy. He's saying if somebody's older than you, you treat them as a father with that kind of respect, with that kind of honor. And if you have to correct them, you might have to, you still treat them like you would try to correct your own dad. Right? And so I want to ask you, how are you looking at people in the church? Single guys. Are you looking at the women here not just like someone who loves Jesus, but are you looking at at them as, as someone that you're willing to treat like a sister in Christ? When a young girl becomes a member, New Beginnings Ladies, are you seeing her as a sister in Christ, deserving of your love and your support and your encouragement? When a man is older than you, when he comes to New Beginnings, do you treat him and speak to him well? Do you treat him like you would treat and speak to your father? When a young man comes to church, do you see him as a brother in Christ? See, in your family, you treat people differently according to their maturity, don't you? You treat grandma completely different than you treat Tia, right? Now, the same respect, but a different level of respect, right? Are you with me? And Paul says that that should happen in the church too. There's different levels of respect even in the church. And what was Paul doing and what Paul is doing and what God is doing for us today is we're learning today that everybody is worthy of our care in the church. Everybody is worthy of our care. Right? And we should be thoughtful about our care. You treat everybody in the church like they're your family. Why? Because they are your family. Young people, hear me on that. You treat everybody in the church like they're your family. Why? Because they are your family. They're your brothers, your sisters in Christ. Everyone needs to be loved in the church. Everyone needs to be encouraged in the church. Everyone needs to be nurtured in the church why? Because every believer is part of God's family. So again, you're not to be harsh with another believer with your words. And so hear me on this. Let me explain this to you. Your tone matters. How you speak to other people, it matters. Now you may think, well, I'm not being harsh by what I'm saying. Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes your tone communicates something completely different. Right? We're to encourage other people, and it's hard to encourage people when your tone is harsh. It's hard to encourage other people when, when your tone comes across as degrading or you're talking down to somebody. Throughout the New Testament, this is a repeated command to believers. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but what? Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, meaning every day you're encouraging people more and more, more than you did yesterday. You may say, well, I encouraged that person yesterday. How did you encourage them today? Because you're supposed to encourage more. It's, it's supposed to be growing. It's supposed to be increasing. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others, what? Up, not tearing people down, building other people up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Friends, lean in. Encouraging words take work. It takes work. It's easy to be mean. Young people, you hear me? It's easy to be a mean person. It's easy to say mean things to people. It's easy to cut somebody down, but it takes some real effort to be an encourager. 
right? Imagine with me. Imagine if I said, hey, think, uh, think of somebody in your family today. Think of their favorite meal, whatever their favorite meal is. And today you're going to go home and you're going to make them their favorite meal, whatever it is, all right? Whatever it is, you're going to make it. Now, imagine with me, you get all that food together, you're making the meal, you get all the ingredients, you know, you get a dash of pepper, sprinkle of garlic, a hint of rat poison, and a lot of love, right? Whoa, did you guys catch that? You guys, went, you guys caught that for a second, right? See, if, if you cooked a meal for me, and you put all my favorite ingredients in there, you're going to make me my favorite meal, but you throw in a little bit of rat poison, you know what I'm going to think about you? You don't really love me. Like, it's going to make me question that. I'm going to go, I just, there's something about this that makes me feel like you don't really love me, that you may want to get rid of me. Well, it's the same way in how we talk, isn't it? See, I can sit there and say, oh, I love you. I love you. You're such an awesome brother in Christ. You're an awesome sister in Christ. You're just so awesome. But imagine my next sentence, I say something that's overly critical or harsh or condemning or, or condescending to you or just mean to you. Do you feel loved? Did, did what I say in the sentence before match what I just said to you in the second sentence? No. It's the same thing. It's like saying, I'm going to cook you your favorite meal because I love you, but I'm going to put some poison in it. What? That's, no, that doesn't go hand in hand. And that's what we're getting at here today. See, when you love other people, you may have to correct them, but you do it with respect and honor. You always love each other, and you, you do these things. You speak to people in a certain way. You treat people a certain way. Otherwise, you can't say, I love you if I'm going to treat you bad. You don't get to do that. Why? Because God's the one who says, nope, that's wrong. God does not say, I love you, but then treat you bad. God says, I love you, and he treats you good. Amen? And that's what we should do too. See, the goal of a healthy family is to always spur each other on, to always build each other up, to help each other to grow to be more like Jesus. A healthy family longs to enjoy each other. A healthy family wants to serve God together. A healthy family wants to help each other grow. A healthy, a healthy family wants to age well together. It's what you want to do. So parents, let me ask you, is that your goals for your family? Should be, Right? In the church, everyone is family, and we always need to strive to treat everybody like family. We don't push each other negatively in the church. Instead, we come alongside each other. We encourage each other. We help each other. Now, how you do this means you need to be intentional. Intentional means you need to do this on purpose. You need to actually try to do this. Young people, listen carefully. It means you have to think before you speak. Adults, hear this. You need to think before you speak. Some things you just don't need to say. Some things don't need to come out of your mouth. If it's not going to spur each other on for holiness, if it's not going to build somebody else up, do we need to say it? If we're just going to condemn people and cut them down, probably doesn't need to come from our mouths. Men, you might need to hear this more than ladies. We might need to hear this. Men, we can't speak to men and women the same way. We can't. Right? We need to take into account their age and their gender. And to Timothy, who at this point in his life was most likely single, he tells Timothy to encourage the younger women, right, the girls, as sisters with all purity. And that was a lot more than just romantic purity, if you will. Um, but he had to be pure in mind. 
Timothy needs to guard his heart, but he also needed to guard his thoughts about the women who were in the church, thinking of them, again, as sisters in Christ. Everything that we think about anybody else in God's house always has to be rooted in the righteousness of God. In every relationship, the holiness of Jesus Christ must shine brightly. It has to. And so that's a command for everyone, kids, teens, young adults. We don't do things or say things to manipulate people. We don't try to trick people. We don't try to get people to do what we want them to do by saying nice things about them. Meaning this. Let me give you an example. Young people, look here. You ever wanted to, like, play video games for, like, an extra little bit? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. You you don't go to your mom and go, Mom, you're so beautiful. Mom, you're just my favorite mom I've ever had. Well, because what are you trying to do? You're trying to manipulate mom into something. Because you just buttered her up. And now she's going to give you whatever you want. Right? That's what you're thinking. We don't, listen, as Christians, we don't manipulate people. We don't tell people things that maybe we don't really believe or we don't try to get people to do things that we want to do in deceiving ways. We're just honest and upfront, And we just be real with people. That's how God wants us to be. Right? In the church, we're not harsh. We're not mean. We protect each other. We try to build each other up. Okay? Number two, we're to honor our spiritual family well. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Paul says that families have an obligation to honor each other. Kids and grandkids, and this goes for everybody in the room, because everybody in the room at some point is a kid or a grandkid. Listen carefully. You have an obligation to take care of your elderly parents. You have an obligation, especially those who are left all alone. Right? If any widow has children, then she's not the one that Paul's talking about who legitimately needs help. Why? Because the person who has kids, the responsibility is on their kids to take care of them if they're a widow, not the church. The one who legitimately needs help is the widow who's left all alone. She has no kids. She has no husband. She has no one to help take care of her. And so the church is supposed to come alongside in that situation and to care for both spiritually and materially for true widows who are left all alone, who have nobody to take care of them. And so listen up. Paul says that, that, that a widow's family is to be responsible for their care. What I want you to understand, and young people hear this too, part of the reason that God puts you in the family that you're in is so that you would step up when your opportunity comes for you to help take care of the people who have taken care of you. So if somebody's invested in you and loved you and served you, God put you into that family so that you would do the same thing for them one day when your turn comes. And one day your turn will come. One day your turn will come to take care of the people who have taken care of you. And God puts you in that family and saying, I expect you to step up. I expect you to love and serve well. I expect you to honor and serve well those who are older than you. The point of all of, this, all of this is that, brothers and sisters, we have a heavenly duty, duty to honor our earthly family. Even your, if, if, listen, even if your parents are jerks, teenagers, let me just talk to you for a moment. 
<laughs> Teenagers, I'm looking at my son, trying not to look at him, right? Even if you think your parents are jerks, you're to honor them. Even if you don't like it because they said, go to bed, turn off your video games, time for some sleep, you need rest, go get a shower, right? These kind of things. You're supposed to honor them even if you don't agree with it, you still honor them. They, they are worthy of your honor. Even if your grandpa is the most miserable, boring person, you honor him. Even if your grandma, right, you know, called you all kinds of mean names as a kid, you know, or she didn't, she favored another grandkid more than she favored you, you still honor her. She's still deserving of that honor. Regardless, listen, I'm going to say something very serious. Even if they abused you, they still are worthy of your honor. Now, you might go, how is that possible? It's the truth. Even if the parent or the grandparent has dementia, doesn't even know who you are, they are still worthy of your honor. The point is this. There are no outs on this. Nobody gets an out on this. Nobody gets to say, that's for you, but look, my parent was like this, so I don't have to. No, there's no outs. It's everybody. Right? It would be a heck of a lot easier if there were some outs, wouldn't there? Right? I had a dad growing up who didn't deserve any honor. Who was never even around, never even took care of us, never sent money, nothing to help, nothing. He was still worthy of my honor, according to Scripture, according to God. God made it this way, and here's why God made it this way. You may go, I don't understand, this doesn't seem fair, why should I have to do this? Here's why God made it this way. Because in showing grace and love and mercy to them, you're showing God that you understand that he did this for you too. He did the same thing for you too, right? God loved you when you were an enemy to him. Listen carefully. God loves you when you're a jerk to him. When you're mean to somebody else, you're dishonoring God. When you're rude to your parents or you're rude to your kids or, you know, you're just mean, God still loves you, doesn't he? When you're undeserving, God still loves you, forgives you, shows you grace, shows you mercy. So by you doing this to other people, what you're saying is, God, I understand you've done this for me, and so I'm going to do it for other people. When you don't do it for other people, here's what you're telling God, I don't get what you've done for me. I don't appreciate what you've done for me. Because if I did, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I would be treating other people better. For some of us, let's just be real, we don't know how to do this. The reason for some of us we don't know how to do this is because we didn't grow up in a family where we saw this happen. We didn't see parents get treated well. We didn't see grandparents and, 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 and great-grandparents get taken care of and, and, and respected. We just didn't see this. It wasn't modeled for us. So we don't know how to do this. It's why Paul uses this word in verse 4, if we go back to it. He says that they should what? Learn. You might have to learn how to do this. We might actually have to learn how to do this because we never saw it happen. But just because you have to learn how to do it doesn't excuse you from not doing it. You have to learn it and then do it. So even if you could say, well, I never saw my parents do this, so I don't have to do this. Wrong. Learn how to do it and then do it. It's what God is telling us today. And so this is for your parents, whether your parent is a Christian, whether your parent is a Muslim, whether your parent is an atheist, it doesn't matter. Right? You imitate Christ in the way that you serve them, in the way that you honor them. Look at how Jesus honored his father. Isn't he a perfect example? Did Jesus ever dishonor his father? Nah, never, not once. In the context of the church, we have to recognize that there are also people here that we have a responsibility to take care of sometimes. 
And so you need to think back over everybody in your life who's invested in you, who's nurtured you physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And you need to be someone who gives back to those people, who's willing to give back to those people if the opportunity arises. If somebody's invested in you and poured into you and helped you, then you got to look for opportunities to say, well, I'm going to give it back. I'm going to help back. I'm going to serve back. I'm going to take care of them back. You might say, well, my parents were terrible parents. At least your parents brought you into this world at the very least. At the very least, they brought you into this world, and so you are to honor them well. Paul says in verse 4 about the widows, he says to trust in God and continue supplications and prayers night and day. And so those who should legitimately be helped by the church should serve the church in some way. In this case, the widows were given this job of praying for the church. They were supposed to pray for the church. Members of the church, lean in, because I'm going to talk to you if you're a member here. Some of you just voted, so I know you're a member. Listen carefully. Members of the church should never just be takers. You're not just a taker. Sometimes you do receive, but you're never just a taker. If you're a taker, I'm going to be real with you. If you're just a taker, you never give, you never serve, you never help, you never pray, you never do anything for the church. You just take and take and take. You're a horrible church member. Now, some of you might say, hey, that's really cold. It's the truth. It's reality. And sometimes we need to hear it, right? I'm not going to sugarcoat it because something needs to change. Something needs to, to be different in us. Listen, everybody can serve the church in some way. And that's what Paul was getting at. Like, even a widow who is, she's older, she can't work, she has no money, even she can serve the church in some way. And how can she serve the church? She can pray for her church. Everybody can serve the church in some way. The problem is we have some people who can't even be bothered to do that. In the church world, we have some people who can't even be bothered to pray for their church. But they'll certainly take a lot of stuff from their church, but they won't ever serve their church. Now, I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to go ahead and share it. We had someone here a few years back who the church helped in a lot of different ways. I mean, paid multiple electric bills, paid a lot of water bills. And when I'm talking water bills, I'm talking months and months and months of these things that were backed up. Gave food to the person. And this person never served the church, never helped the church, just continued to take and take and take from the church. One day the help from the church dried up. And the person got upset and left the church because the church was no longer taking care of all these different things. What I want you to understand why I tell you that is because even our young people who are here, kids, listen, membership is a two-way street. Being part of a church is a two-way street. You give, you give and you are given to. You serve and you are served. You love and you are loved. Does that make sense? Like, that's what it should look like in your family too. Your, your parents serve you. They put a roof over your head. They love you. They care for you. They keep your clothes clean. Your stomach's full of food. All these different things. Well, guess what? You also got to serve your parents. And one of the best ways you serve your parents is with a good attitude. Like, you, like showing, hey, I appreciate what you do for me, what you've done for me. I love you, and here's how I'm going to serve you. At the very least, every single person in this room can pray for their family, spiritual family and their biological family. At the very least, every one of us could do that. Now, some of you uh, may bucket this 
because this is what Paul is saying here, is that he says, he or she who lives in pleasure. So those who should be legitimately helped by the church have to have godly lives, right? It's appropriate to say you're not living a godly life, and so you're not going to receive financial assistance from the church. Some of you may not like that. You go, oh, I don't like that. That feels cold. That feels harsh. See, sometimes people come to the church for assistance, and they're in need because they have lived for the pleasures of the world, and now they're facing the consequences of living for the pleasure of the world. They've, they've lived for the pleasure of alcohol or drugs or living unwise or whatever. And now they're in need and now they need the church to come alongside and help them. And it's okay for the church to sometimes say, no, you've been living for the worldly pleasures. And this is one of the consequences of living for worldly pleasures. Now again, some of you may not like that because it feels cold. It feels harsh. But friends, that's what Paul's getting at here. You don't have to help every single person. Just because someone comes to your church doesn't necessarily mean that you have to help them. Another story. We had a, a man who came here, I don't know, probably eight or nine years ago. And he had asked for help. And one, one day there was a group of us on the basketball court. We were playing basketball out here at the, at the church. And he came and he asked for help. And he had this long sob story you know, about, you know, if my family's in a hotel and blah, 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 blah. And so, so, hey, there was a couple of us. We went to the bank. We got him money. We came back. And we're like, hey, we want to see you in church. This is part of it. You need to come to church on Sunday so the church can come alongside you and pray for you and, and, and help you. Don't worry. I'm going to be there. Thank you so much for the, for the money, blah, 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 blah. Well, two or three years go by. This same person shows up again. And I'm sitting in my office, and I remember the voice. Like, I remembered the voice, and I could hear him talking and saying the same story out in the front office. I could hear him. And I walked out there, and I said, hey, wait a second. I remember you, and I shook his hand. You remember me? No. I said, you don't remember? You made a deal that you were going to come to church and, when we helped you, and now you're here. And wait a second. You're still living in the hotel years later? You're still doing the same thing years later? Oh, no, no. I, I, I. We're not helping you today. Today, you're getting no help from us today. Whatever's going on, now you could be telling us the truth today. But because you lied to us then, we're not helping you today. Does that make sense? You don't have to help every single person every single time. Sometimes people need to face the consequences of their decisions. Right? And sometimes by you helping people, you're helping them to avoid the consequences of their decisions. Another story. Young people like stories, right? When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to get a new car. My older brother, when he graduated from high school, got a brand new car. Brand new. Not used. Brand new. My older sisters, when they graduated from high school, both got brand new cars. Not used. Brand new. With that new car smell. Oh, my gosh. That new car smell just smells so good. Doesn't it smell good? Here comes Jordan, the fourth one. Jordan, that's me, was very bad as a young man. And because I was so bad, I was untrustworthy. So my grandpa, I'll never forget, on my 18th birthday, I'm thinking I'm getting a car. It's just a couple months after graduation. I'm thinking I'm going to get a car. Here it comes. I open up the card, and there's a title to a car in my card. And I looked at it, and it said it had like the University of Miami logo on it. 
And I'm like, dang, this is kind of weird. You know, they got me a University of Miami like, car? Like, and then I read it, it said truck, and I was like, you got me an old truck? This is so cool. And then he's like, open the gift. So I'm opening this big box, and I'm thinking, it's going to be keys. Like, this is a big box for little keys, but okay. And I open up the box, and it's not a real car. It's a replica car. This is the car that I got for my 18th birthday. I still have it in my office, this little car. The reason I didn't get that car is because my grandfather told me, we can't trust you yet with this because of what you've done. Not that we don't love you. We love you. When you show us that we can trust you, we will get you a car. But until then, we're withholding the car because we can't trust you. You haven't earned it. You haven't earned our trust. So for a year went by. Now, I became a Christian within my 18th year of living. But just because I became a Christian doesn't mean that they automatically was like, okay, he's a Christian now, give him a car. Didn't work like that. Right before I turned 19 years old, my grandfather pulled up to my house. And he was driving a 1997 toilet seat white Toyota Camry with 200,000 miles on it. And he said, this is your car. And I remember being so disappointed and so sad, but he said, this is what we can trust you with. Why? Because trust, my friends, is something that you earn over time, but you lose in a moment. And so what did I have to do? I had to earn back over time this trust. Did you know three years later, my grandpa got me a different car when I had proven that I was respectful and that I was kind and that I could be trustworthy? He got me a nice car, really nice car. And so the whole point of it was this is that I had a long ways to go before I could earn my family's trust back. And sometimes that happens in the church world too. If somebody shows you that you can't trust them, you're a fool to continue to trust them. It's unwise. And so it's not always easy to obey the Lord. Sometimes it hurts. And in this situation when we're talking about, we need a lot of wisdom and discernment, don't we? All right, let's wrap it up with this. Lastly, number three. We are to glorify Christ by caring for your, for your spiritual family well. Give people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, listen carefully, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is what? Worse than an unbeliever. Paul is saying here and repeating here what he already said earlier. He says to Timothy, give these instructions to the church so that everyone in the church knows how to live. You're hearing this today, young people, teenagers, adults. You're hearing this today because God says, now you know how to live. Now you know how to treat people in your church. Now you know how to treat your biological family. Before, you could have used the excuse, I didn't know. Today, you have no more excuse. It's been taken away from you. Now you know how you're supposed to treat people. So Paul gives some eternal weight to this command here. He's saying if you don't treat people the way you're supposed to treat people, you give the lost an excuse to not believe in Jesus. Because you're no different. You give them a, a, a way to say, I, 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 I don't want to believe in Jesus. And you're also saying that you don't even really believe in Jesus if you're not going to obey what he's told you to do. So if you don't provide for your own family, you don't help your own church family. And that's what he's getting at. What I want you to understand is God's normal way for providing for the needy is not through the local congregation. The, lo the way of God providing for the needy is not through some socialistic utopia. 
The way that God provides for people is through your own hard work. And so don't miss this. Never let people twist scripture and say that the Bible is, 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 promotes socialism, because it absolutely does not. What God expects of you is God expects you to work hard. Everything you do, God says, work hard. And he wants you to enjoy the blessings that come from hard work. He wants you to enjoy it. If God allows you to experience blessing and you've worked hard, God says, I want you to enjoy it. Enjoy the blessing that I've given to you. Don't feel bad because I blessed you. Enjoy the blessing that I blessed you with. Why? Because he also wants you to bless other people too. So when you're blessed with extra, he wants you to sit there and say, I'm going to bless this other person who doesn't have. I'm going to help them. I worked hard. God gave me more. And now I can help other people too. I can enjoy, but I can also help other people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among, among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Right? Paul says that he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In strongest terms, men listen carefully, he has given us this double responsibility. Men, you and I, we are doubly responsible. We are to care for and lead our spiritual family, but we're to care for and lead our biological family. We are doubly responsible. We have two times the responsibility that everybody else in the church has. God is looking at us. How are we leading our church? How are we leading our families? We're to lead and care for them well. Now, again, this may mean sometimes when we're talking about this that it may go beyond your comfort level, may reach sacrificial levels. But what I want you to see is that Jesus was never beyond this. Jesus was a great example to us. When Jesus was on the cross, you know what he did? He made sure that John, who was one of his disciples, you know what he told John to do? He said, take care of my mom. So think about this. Even on Jesus' deathbed, he's making sure that his mom's going to be taken care of. What's our excuse? What's our excuse that we don't take care of the people that we supposedly love? The people who are in our family. What's our excuse? We don't have one. I end with this. You know, everybody has either had a cold or the flu at some point. Raise your hand if you've ever gotten sick before. Put your hand up. A lot of people have gotten sick before. Wow, a lot of you. Some of you didn't raise your hand. They've never been sick. They're very impressive. Very impressive. Everybody knows what it feels like to have a cold or the flu coming on, don't you? Right? Stuffiness comes. You start feeling a little weak. Maybe even you get a fever. Runny nose. Stuffy nose. Repeat. Right? And it becomes clear what? This is not allergies. You're sick. One thing is really clear. When you have a cold or you have the flu, what, what do you know? You know it. You know that you're sick. You're not feeling right. People who get close to you, they know it. They can see it in your face. They can see it in your body language. They can see it in the color of your skin sometimes changes a little bit. They can smell the Vicks coming off of you. They know you're sick. The point is this. It's pretty impossible to have a cold or a flu and not have symptoms. If you have a cold or you have the flu, symptoms are going to show up somewhere, somehow. The point is this. It's also impossible to have a relationship with Jesus and it not show up in your relationship with other people. The symptoms, if you will. How you treat other people. If you have a relationship with Jesus, it is going to show up in how you treat other people. 
It's going to show up in how you talk to people. It's going to show up in how you sacrifice for other people. It's going to show up in how you are patient with other people, how you encourage other people, how you try to build up other people. And the, the same is true if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. We would expect you just to be, operate the same way the world does. No love, no respect, no kindness, no mercy, no grace. But because we know Jesus, we're different. Because we know Jesus, listen, those symptoms of, you, of knowing Jesus show up in our speech. They show up in how we treat other people. They show up. So I end with this. Can other people tell that you have a relationship with Jesus by how you're treating them? In the church and outside of the church. Let's pray. Lord, when we're talking about how we treat other people, Lord, I know for even myself included, for all of us, it's easy to be tempted to just treat people the way that they treat us. And Lord, some of us, maybe they go to school or we work with somebody who's mean to us, and so we feel like we can just be mean back. Someone doesn't show us love, we don't show them love back. They're unkind to us, we're unkind to them back. Lord, you have called us to something greater than that. You've called us to love even those who don't love us. You've called us to serve those who don't serve us. You've called us to sacrifice for those who don't sacrifice for us. Because Jesus, this is what you have done for us. Jesus, you love us when we don't love you. You have served us when we weren't serving you, when we were your enemies. You died for us when we hated you and we despised you. But look at what you've done for us. So God, what we're praying for is we're not praying for something that we can do on our own. The kids can't do this on their own. The teenagers can't do this on their own. The young adults can't do this. The adults can't do this. None of us can do this on our own. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need more of you. And Lord, some of us need to sacrifice more for our families. Some of us may need to, to stop and think before we speak. Maybe we need to be a little bit more patient with our parents or with our kids or with our boss or with our employees or with the person who cuts us off in traffic. All of us have room to grow. And Lord, we pray for in those, in those spaces that we have room to grow, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill those spaces. Take control. And Lord, help this to be a week that changes our lives. Help us as we leave here today to sit there and say, okay, I'm... Lord, I need you to help me to put this into practice. And moment by moment, God, we just keep praying. God, help me to be more like this. Help me to be more like Jesus in how I treat my parents. Help me to be more like Jesus in how I treat my, my younger sister or my younger brother or my older sister or older brother or my employees or my employer or my coworkers or my neighbors. Holy Spirit, we need you to help us to be more like Christ. We can't do it on our own. We know that. So, God, we pray and we ask. Lord, if we have sin in our lives, we can't ask you to, to make us more like Jesus but still hold on to sin. And so, Lord, we've got to repent of our sin too. We've got to turn away from our sin and say, okay, I'm walking away from this. I'm giving this up. I'm leaving this behind. And I'm going to walk in righteousness. I'm going to walk in the ways that Jesus wants me to walk. I can't expect my relationships to be full of love and mercy and grace if I'm going to bring sin into them as well. Those two things don't compete. So Holy Spirit, please help us. Help us to trust you more. Help us to love you more and, and as a byproduct of that, loving others more. 
Help us to serve you more and as a byproduct of that, serve other people more. Help us to sacrifice more for you and as a byproduct of that, we'll sacrifice more for others. Lord, help us to work hard. Lord, for our young people who are here today and they're in school. Lord, this starts with them working hard in school, giving their very best effort. It's not about making straight A's. It's not even about making the honor roll. It's about giving you, God, our very best in the classroom with our homework. We're we're giving you our very best at all times. Lord, as we go from there and we go into adulthood and we have jobs, Lord, our employer deserves our very best. We are to work hard. Our family deserves our very best. We're to work hard. God, most importantly, you deserve our very best. We are to work hard in all that we do for your glory. And Lord, we know that when we do that, you're going to bless us. And when you bless us, Lord, help us to use our blessings in a way that helps other people. It helps build each other up. Lord, we ask for a lot, but we know, Lord, we can ask for even more. And so, God, we just pray that you would help us with all these things. God, it's been a blessing to have our kids in our service today. What an honor it is to see their beautiful faces, Lord. They're just, uh, so, uh, just so awesome to have them here. They are an important part of our church. And I pray that our kids would hear that, God, that they mean something to this church. They are valuable to this church. They're not just kids. They're kids with an awesome future for you. And we love them, and they mean so much to us. They are valuable here. And, God, we want them to be on mission in their church, in their home, in their neighborhood. We want them to be missionaries wherever they go. They're pointing people to you. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help them as well. Lord, again, what a blessing it's been to to see them here today and worship with them. We pray for more opportunities like this. Lord, again, we love you. We pray that you would receive our worship. We're going to give to you right now financially, Lord. As Barry was talking about earlier, we're going to pass the plate. We haven't done this in a long time, but three years, something like that, since COVID, whatever that's been. And, Lord, right now we just pray that our, our gifts would be used to build up your kingdom. Our financial gifts, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart behind the gift. That we're to give cheerfully, sacrificially, and generously. Lord, would you just use all the gifts that are received today um, in in a way that helps build the kingdom here in Homestead. Lord, that our church would continue to operate wisely in how we spend every penny. That Lord, knowing that we full well are going to answer to you for how we spend every single penny of this place. Because it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to you. So, God, we're going to give, and, Lord, I pray that everyone would give cheerfully and sacrificially and generously. Some might continue to give online. Lord, that's fine. Some people may choose to give here in person, and that's okay. But, God, we just pray for these gifts, that it would honor you and glorify you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.